Check it out. We were in the book of Ruth last on January 7th. Today's February 4th. It's been just about a month since we've been in the book of Ruth. And you guys know it, Calvary Chapel churches, we study through the word book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And yet for the last couple of weeks, we've been all over the place. January 7th, we finished chapter one of the book of Ruth. And it's an incredible story. It took us three weeks to get through one chapter because you guys listen way slow. <laughs> Could be my fault too, not sure, still processing. Jury's still out. (laughs) Three weeks! And then we found ourselves on January 14th. Remember that big old ice storm that swept in? And we did a special teaching from the property, live at the property there. And we went through Acts chapter 16, where we were learning from Paul's journeys. And when one door shuts, another door opens. And God's always in the midst and always in the mix. And then after that was January 21st, and it was our last service in the warehouse, such a special time to have testimonies and words, and man, a special time of prayer and celebration and grieving as we trusted the Lord in all things. And then January 28th was last Sunday right here at Foursquare Church, and instead of getting back into Ruth, we studied Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah testified, ooh, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And there were two seraphim flying back and forth with six wings, two covering their face, two their feet, and two flapping around. And the seraphim cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when I saw this, and when I heard this, Isaiah testified, the doorposts of heaven were shook. And the doorpost, the ins and outs of his life. The sole purpose of his being, God was shaking him down. We studied that last week. And it was in that moment that Isaiah hit the ground and said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips for I have seen the Lord. Right then the cherubim, ooh, went right into action. You see, two wings covered their face and two wings covered their feet, but the other two wings were action wings flying around and serving the Lord. How cool, what a picture for you and I who know the Lord and see the Lord walking in that humility, knowing who we are, knowing who he is, but also serving him. It's kind of like that Mary-Martha mentality. Mary loved the Lord. She was a sister of Lazarus, and she sat by the Lord's feet and just listened and learned. She loved to do that. Martha was another sister of Lazarus, and she was busy being around, working all over the place. And I believe Jesus was honored by both ladies, that we need to serve him and be active. Oh, but listen, for all you Marthas out there, Martha, Martha, Martha. Oh, make sure you're sitting at the Lord's feet. Make sure you're taking time to let him love you. And this is what Isaiah was. Isaiah was contracted by the Lord to do amazing things. And you are too. And I am as well. And the Lord said to Isaiah, hey, I got to touch your lips. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's a coal from the fire, from the altar, from the provision, from the power, from the blood of the sacrifice. And immediately, and I hate to reteach all this, but it's so important to me that the Lord touched Isaiah's lips and dealt with his iniquity. Your iniquity's been removed, it's been taken care of. And then God asked the question, who shall I send in Isaiah? Like an eager first grader who knows the final answer to the test. Ah! Here am I, send me. Ooh, have you said that yet? Don't, don't answer out loud, but have you said that to the Lord? Lord, here am I, send me. Are you, are you that Christian yet? I think you are. This is the 9 a.m. service, we're packed in like sardines, I'm proud of you guys, it's crazy. Last night at the 5 p.m. service, at the end of the service, it might have been at the beginning, actually, 
Pastor Seth and Pastor Jeremy were leading the service and Jeremy taught Pastor Jeremy Parker. He's teaching at the Walport Foursquare this morning. And Pastor Seth got up and during worship said, hey, we're gonna take communion now. And the way they did it last night is they all stood up and came to the table and helped themselves to communion. And I sat in the back and I watched them all do this. And it was so awesome to see men and women stand up and walk to the table of communion, confessing with their actions, with their heart, with their motives, I'm a believer. Send me, Lord. And I was so humbled just to be in their presence. And I hope you are too. We take so many things for granted, don't we? Take church for granted. And maybe when you're driving on I-5 and you see one of those cars with a Christian fish on it, and instead of your heart leaping like, ooh, a brother or a sister, instead you say, they need to learn to drive, you know. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? Church do they go to, you know? Isn't it crazy? And we take each other for, I don't want to do that. I want to be so tenderized like Isaiah. Where I am, Lord, send me. This morning about 6 a.m. or so, I texted Pastor Glenn Smalls and Pastor Seth McRae and, and, and Pastor Douglas Hogan and, and Pastor Eddie Brown and, and Pastor Jason Santoni. And, and that's about all I could remember on my phone this morning. And I said, guys, I'm praying for you. Praying for your churches. Praying for you as men, called men. Praying for the team, for the family, the sent ones. And I'm telling you right now, we're in Newport, Oregon. This is wild that God's doing what he's doing on the Oregon coast, that God's raising up churches and men and women and leaders everywhere. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it sitting down. Be excited at what the Lord is doing and be active. Here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah didn't just go to the popcorn maker right after that, make a bunch of popcorn and watch and what's gonna happen next. He started doing stuff. And we're gonna see that in today's text as Ruth, a Moabitess woman, who's in the wrong place, has been doing the wrong things with the wrong people, but then she ends up switching her script and she DTNRTs. She does the next right thing and God honors her and he sees her life and changes everything. I just want us to be encouraged this morning at what God is doing, not discouraged. Guys, can I just slip a quick announcement in that I forgot? Don't forget next Saturday, 5 p.m. church here and then 7 p.m. there's a concert at the Newport Nazarene Church. Sanctus Real is gonna be in town. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be radical. So we're all gonna go to that. So put that on your calendars as well. But right now, let's read verses 20 and 21 and 22 out of chapter one. We're going back just a little bit because you guys were, you can't even remember what happened back in the day. January 7th, when was that? Look at verse 19, actually. It says, now the two of them, oh, that's Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Naomi's a Jew. And Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. Now the two of them went, and behold, they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. Woo! And the women said, hey, isn't this Naomi? And then she said to them, do not call me Naomi. I think her voice probably sounded like Marge Simpson's sisters. I'm not sure, but she was all messed up at this point. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Stop right there, eyes up here. Whoa. Naomi, tell us how you really feel. What? She comes home after being gone for a decade, and all her buddies and friends see her. They hear, small town, word travels quickly. Oh, Naomi's here, and they get all excited about her. Naomi's not excited. She is a wounded individual. You guys know that she, her own testimony, I left full with a hubby 
and two boys, Malon and Chilion. Man, we had a good thing going. And you remember the studies in that portion of chapter one where I believe there was a compromise in their decision. They went to Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and the place of praise. And they needed to figure things out on their own because things were getting tough. And I believe they went down, down, down to Moab. And in that place, that's where her hubby died and Malon died and Chilion died. And she ended up finding herself reaping the consequences, I believe, of a bad action. And when she got back, she was embittered and bummed out about it. Don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant, but call me Mara. I've gone out full and I came back empty. Now, let me just be a little sensitive to her. She's had a rough go, a rough time. I could point out the fact that her and her husband and boys should have never gone, and maybe they even got themselves into this predicament. Has anybody ever counseled you in your situation of suffering in that way? You're like, hey, I don't need to hear that. You know, it's not what I need right now. And I want to be sensitive. She's hurt. She's wounded. She can't see anything positive in her life right now. We get there from time to time, do we not? Maybe not in situations this dire. It might not even be real situations of dire at all in your life, but you just feel like, you just feel bad. You just feel down. Nothing is going for you. And sometimes we get to be the glass half empty kind of person rather than the glass half full. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that my staff gave me a new title in our staff meetings. They said, Luke, you're a serial optimist. You're always, you know, optimistic. I said, oh, I like that. I like that, you know. I'm going to try and live up to that. I always want to have optimistic outlook. And the reason I can and do often have an optimistic outlook isn't because of the situations of my life, but because of the declarations of God in his word, because of the stories and the principles that God's given to us. I like to call this, it sounds, it's so elementary, but it's so true, biblical faith. That is the faith that you have. Well, I believe. What do you believe? Well, I believe God's good. He's going to work it out. Why do you believe that? Well, because it's biblical. I've seen it happen in the stories. I've read the Old Testament. I've read the New Testament. I've read his principles. I've read the, the epistles and the doctrinal testimonies. of the. I've, I know. And I hope you have biblical faith, not just feel-good faith, or I hope the chiefs win faith, you know, or kind of that, that weird hope things we have, but real biblical hope. Because the world gets hopeless all the time. And the narrators and the talking heads and the things going on and the economics and the politics and the spiritual condition. Right now, in the midst of Israel at this time, politically and economically and spiritually, it was a very dark time. You Bible students know Ruth happened in the period of the judges. It was all bad everywhere. And yet even when it's all bad everywhere, do you believe, can you believe we must believe that God is always raising up a remnant. He's always rescuing. He's never aloof. He doesn't fall asleep. Naomi didn't get it in this moment. She couldn't handle this too hard. She was mad in Moab. Now she's bitter in Bethlehem. And she's all messed up. And it's in this position that she makes this huge mistake. I have nothing Everything is, I left full and I'm now empty. Now, can you imagine, I just want to kind of point out a few things because it's hard to see in this situation what she does have. Let me just point out three things that she does have that are fairly obvious. Number one, she has a pulse. Everyone check your pulse real quick. Make sure you got one of those. They're really, really important. And this is so basic, but if you've got a pulse, you've got a, a brush. It ain't done. 
God's not done working. He can do anything and anything, everything that's necessary. She was alive and just needed to wait for the Lord to do what the Lord was going to do next. Not only did she have a pulse, but she had a community. She showed back up to Bethlehem. What did they start doing? Started singing and clapping. Shut up. I got nothing. Whoa, all right, you know. (laughs) Okay, I was going to friend you on Facebook, and now I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. (laughs) Going to invite you to the party? I'm going to uninvite you to the party. She had people around her that were willing to support her and willing to friend her and willing to walk with her. I think we do too, most of the time. Oh man, you ever just forgotten that you have friends, people that love you? We forget this so easily. We think we're the only ones. Nobody cares. It's absolutely not true. A lie from the pit of hell. We have a community of God, a family of God. And yet we struggle with this every single day. Not only that, but you know what else she had? Not only did she have a pulse in the community, she also had Ruth. Ruth was right there by her. Can you imagine how offensive this would have been for Naomi and Ruth to show up to Bethlehem? She's like, I went out full, and now I came back empty. And Ruth's like, dude, I'm right here. Bro, I for real just left everything to be with you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm right here. And I just say all that to say this. Next time you feel down, next time you feel like you have nothing and everything's against you, just stop right there. Count your blessings one by one. Look around. You might not have this emotional sense and this rush and this feeling that we all love to walk in that light feeling, but real faith is forged in the darkness. Real faith is forged in difficult times when your roots grow down. Right now in the winter season here on the Oregon coast, the roots of the trees are being forced down. The woody fibers are being strengthened. Everything's in preparation for the fruits to come in the summer. The roots are gonna stop growing in the summer. It's gonna be all leaves and all fruit and all other stuff, but it's in the dark winter times that the strength is given. I don't like dark winter times. Ah! But they happen. And the Lord says, Luke, that's gonna make you better. Trust me, daylight is coming. Don't give up. Well, we see she's not living this way. Look at verse one of chapter two now. Let's get into some new territory. We'll see how far we can get today. There was no chapter breaks in the original story as this was recorded and detailed for us. But notice the transition. I would like to put a word now there, but it's not there, so I'm not gonna say it. But it says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. Elimelech was her ex, or should I say her late husband. And his name was Boaz. Boaz, everyone say Boaz. Boaz, good enough. Okay, Boaz. Now Boaz enters the scene, and by happenstance, he's in Bethlehem, right where she lives, and by happenstance, it's one of Elimelech's relatives. We don't know if it was his brother. We don't know if it was his nephew or his uncle. We don't know the relative connection. We just know that they were related. This doesn't mean much to us in American Christianity. It doesn't mean anything at all, really. But in Judaism, in that day, to have a relative like this was a big deal. He's actually given a special word in this portion and in chapter four where he's called the goel, which means the kinsman or the redeemer. Now, you and I, when we say goel, we're usually watching soccer and somebody scores the goel, you know, and that was a goel. Different word. But in their days... If you were a Goel, if you were one of them, ooh, you're a bigwig. You run the family. You're a kingpin. You're a kinsman. You're able to actually redeem those in your family that are going through suffrage. Now, again, I'm going to say this because it's important for the text. It's going to go over your head. But because of Elimelech's death and because Elimelech left 
Bethlehem Judah previously, what he had done is he went bankrupt and he sold his plot of land to somebody else. Somebody else owned it. And so now Naomi and her family were bankrupt for at least the next 40 years until the year of Jubilee would come along. Unless, listen, there was a law and a rule that God gave to the children of Israel where a kinsman redeemer, somebody in the family could actually come alongside of their family members and say, I noticed that you're bankrupt, that you lost everything. I actually have within my capacity, within my ability to go to the landowner who who took your stuff, who you sold your stuff to, now you're indebted or enslaved to, (laughs) and, and I can buy it back. I'm a redeemer. I'm the lawful one, and I'm rich and wealthy and can do this. I say that to say this, Naomi is bitter in Bethlehem, she's mad in Moab, and now she's back in Bethlehem, and by God's grace, Boaz is there. Now, Boaz is the real dude, Boaz is a good guy. Boaz, his name actually means, in him is strength. His great son, great-grandson, would be David, King David, and his great-great-grandson would be Solomon. Boaz comes from the tribe of Judah and also from Bethlehem. And if you're able to follow through with the rest of the study, Boaz is a type, a picture, and a shadow of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ the Savior. This Old Testament story overlays and pictures who Jesus is to you and me who are Christians, who also are bankrupt, who also are in debt, have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. Our cup is indeed half empty until we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I can buy you back. I can cover your debt. I can redeem you as well. The studies are innumerable. They're gonna hopefully bless you today. Boaz, this wonderful guy. I actually said that in chapter one, or should I say four weeks ago, that this shouldn't be called the book of Ruth. It should be called the book of Boaz, man. This guy is legit. But really, it's a redemption story of Ruth who did the next right thing and found God's grace and favor in her life. How many of you guys need God's grace and favor in your life right now? That's all I need. I don't need anything that I earn or deserve. I need God's grace and favor. And hopefully you guys know what grace is. It's God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor where he pours himself out on you because it's who he is. And because you put yourself in a position to simply believe it, I need that. I'm not gonna turn my back on the Lord. I'm gonna turn my face to the Lord and get blessed in incredible ways. Well, Boaz comes on the scene, and he's there, and he's got this great lineage. Now, I would say this also. How did he get his great wealth? For all we know that there was a bankruptcy, and there was a famine, and there was all kinds of difficulty. This is why Elimelech and his family left. Boaz could have left too. When the going got tough, Boaz stayed. He stuck and stayed and made it pay. It worked out for him. And sometimes we make the same mistake that Elimelech made, things get difficult. We're like, man, this is getting really hard in this relationship. You know what would be easier? Cut it off. This is getting really hard in this ministry. You know what would be easier? Stop showing up. This is getting really hard to stay pure in this relationship. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna let it go and become a little more worldly. And all of those decisions lead to compromise. And as we see in Ruth and Naomi's life and Elimelech, it leads to death. Boaz, though, we don't know the story. He stayed put. And it was tough, and God honored him and blessed him. Maybe that's a word for somebody here this morning. What commitments have you made between you and the Lord and your fellow man? Maybe it would be that you say, I'm just gonna stay put. I'm gonna work it out. I'm gonna do the next right thing. And Lord, would you do what you did with Boaz? Would you just give me a great legacy and a great lineage? Would you give me, Lord, all the things I need? 
one of my favorite times to wake up in the morning every single day. I, I don't use an alarm. I just kind of let the Lord wake me up. Super risky, super risky. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, you know. But, but what I really love to do when I wake up and I look at the clock and it says 6.33. Anybody ever wake up at 6.33? You ever done that before? It's so awesome. Next time you wake up at 6.33, just remind yourself of this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. It's one of my favorite verses God is simply challenging you and inviting you into a life of faith and trust. Lord, I'm just gonna trust you. Lord, I need a lot of things. And the Lord says, I know exactly what you need. You seek me first. Lord, it's tough. I feel empty. I was full. Now it's difficult and there's a famine in my soul. Really? What are you gonna do? Seek the Lord. Stay put. Stay committed. Let the Lord figure it out for you. Well, we're seeing all of this happen. Look at verse two as the story continues. It says, so Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, hey, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Stop right there, eyes up here. Man, Ruth is a can-do type of lady. Ruth is one who wasn't gonna take this sitting down. Ruth is now in Bethlehem. She's a foreigner, doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know the law, but she knows that they need food and she looks at her mother-in-law who's mad in Moab and bitter in Bethlehem. And Naomi looks at Ruth and Ruth says, hey, can I go beg for food? Can I go work? They had not a welfare system in that day, but a workfare system where you wouldn't just go get free food, but you were allowed to actually go work for free food. And so now Ruth says, can I go do this? Can I go out? Now, Ruth already sacrificed everything for Naomi. We know this is a real gal, that God was watching her and calling her to greatness because of her character and her heart. Her sister-in-law, Orpah, remember Orpah said, I'm going to stay in Moab. I don't really want to do this whole thing. But Ruth stayed with Naomi. And now Ruth says, I'm going to go work for food. I just say that to say this. This would have been so difficult for her to do for so many reasons. Number one, she's a woman. Number two, she's a widow. Number three, she's a Moabite, a foreigner. Did you know that the Moabites, according to the Old Testament law, were cursed to the 10th generation? She had a lot going against her. Not only that, but she didn't know the cultures or where to go. They didn't have signs. She's, I'm just gonna go to the work fairs. I'm just gonna go work. You know what I gotta say to that? God can't steer a parked car. Sometimes you gotta step out. I'm just gonna try this. I don't know if it's gonna work or not. She had more, re I wanna say this sensitively. She had more reasons in her life to do nothing than you do. She had so many, I'm just, this is crazy. I've lost my husband. Malon's dead. I've lost my people. This is horrible. And then she has a kind of, you know, sour and dour mother-in-law who's got no encouragement for her whatsoever. I'm bitter, you know. Ugh, okay. Sometimes, though, it's hard to get over the situation we find ourselves in. Maybe you're in debt financially, or, or maybe you're out of shape physically, or maybe there's strain socially and relationally, or maybe there's a moral problem in your life and you're addicted to something. Oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? I promise you, Ruth had it harder than you do, and Ruth simply did the next right thing. And God was going to meet her as she gleaned the fields. Can I just go glean? 
Gleaning was also another Old Testament law for provision for those who were poor. When a field would be harvested, they were allowed to go behind the reapers, the harvesters, and find whatever things were kind of falling on the ground or left on the branches, and they could go glean what was left. That's all she could do. And I just celebrate Ruth. Maybe you're in a season right now, you don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. Okay, just keep doing what the Lord has you to do. It just feels like I'm gleaning. It doesn't feel like I'm harvesting. It doesn't feel like a whole bunch is going on. Just glean for the Lord, and I promise you, God has a plan for you. Her mother-in-law gives her very little encouragement. Go, my daughter. No prayer, no encouragement. Look at verse three. It says, then she left, and she went, and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And it happened, and, as, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Stop right there, eyes up here. She just went to the work fair station and began to glean, and there would be certain parcels not necessarily marked clearly, and she begins to just do whatever she's doing. And the Bible says that she just so happened to come to the area that was owned by Boaz. Just so happened Did you know with the Lord, there's no such thing as just so happening? There's no accidents with the Lord. Listen, there's only appointments from the Lord. He's ordered your steps. Our God's not nonchalant and arbitrary and handcuffed. Every single thing that's going on in your life as you seek the Lord and trust him happens for a purpose. This is so apparent in Ruth's story. Hopefully, it's apparent in your story as well. And she happens to be in Boaz's portion of the field. And look what happens in verse 4. It says, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Man, this guy loves his workers. They love him. And he just happens to show up. He's coming back from Costco, apparently. And he gets to Bethlehem and he goes to the fields. He says, the Lord be with you. Lord bless you, Boaz. Which, by the way, again, if you have a Bible student mind and you're looking at Boaz as a type or a shadow or picture of Jesus, as soon as he shows up to bless the people working, he says, the Lord be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. It's the same privilege that we have as being a believer in today's day and age. The Lord says, what are you doing? Well, I'm just out here reaping. I'm just doing my best to glean. And the Lord says, don't forget that the Lord is with you. He's here with you. And Boaz, our Jesus, shows up to our services and our lives and our families and says, hey, I see you. I see what's going on. The Lord bless you and the Lord be with you. And this privilege, and I would say that to say this again, this story we just went through the book of Judges happened in the time of the Judges. It was a dark time then, but there were still good guys and good gals all around. Does that not encourage you? I don't watch the news. I don't have any way to watch the news. We don't do that at my house, but I, but I have, have Facebook, and apparently, or occasionally, there's some stories that pop up there, and I, I know the world's going crazy, you know, you know it's getting nutty. And I know the talking heads want us to believe that there is no hope of a return or no hope of a revival or it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I am not predicting that it's going to get better anytime soon. I believe it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I also believe that God has sprinkled throughout the world Christians, men and women of good rapport, men and women of faith, hope, and love, men and women who have a different marching order like Boaz here, who in a time of darkness in the days of Judges is living his life differently. Isn't that rad? Is that not a rad call for you and for me to live that way in Lincoln County or Benton County or Lane County or Coos County or whatever county you're from? 
and to let the Lord anoint us to be like Boaz where we go. Look at verse five. It says, then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, hey, whose young woman is this? La, la, la. He sees her, you know. Too much? Too much? Anyways, he sees her. And so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabitess woman who came back from, from, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and she has continued from morning until now, though she did rest a little in the house. And then Boaz said to Ruth, notice the initiation here. He speaks to her. You will listen, my daughter. Will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. And let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men to not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from them, from what the young men have drawn. And so she fell on her face and she bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have you found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Stop right there, eyes up here. This needs to be a Hollywood movie, does it not? Ruth and Boaz meet. Boaz sees her and he asks the question, who's this chick? Where'd this gal come from? And based on the story, we already know that he has heard her story. He knows a little bit about what she's been doing because it's been fully reported to everybody of the sacrifice that Ruth made for Naomi, her mother-in-law, for the faith that young Ruth had to leave her Moabitess ways and cling to the God of Israel. It's almost like she'd been tested in all of her doings. It's almost like God and others were watching her in everything that she was up to. It's true. God's watching everything we're doing. Everything we're doing is on display. We don't think that way all the time. We hope it's not on display all the time. That's for sure, right? And God says, no, it's, it's all reported to me. Everything. And by God's grace and in God's mercy, he looks at us who've been redeemed by Jesus and our sins have been taken care of and God bore our penalty for our mistakes and our rebellions. But did you know that the things you're doing for the Lord right now have not gone unnoticed? The Lord sees them. He sees when you're kind to that individual or when you're prayerful or when you're walking in a dark moment and you choose not to give up or to give in and when you delight yourself in the things of God and he gives you the desires of your heart and how important it is, we don't necessarily take every day and every thought captive. We just don't. But God wants us to, and God asks us to, and he urges us to. And then when you least expect it, God visits you in your vineyard, just gleaning. I'm just trying to get by. And the Lord speaks to you and says, hey, glean not in any other field. You stay here by me. You stay here. I've instructed the men to take care of you. I've instructed the ladies to walk alongside of you. There's water for your needs. There's shade for the sun. Stay here is how the Lord speaks to you and speaks to me. 
And when Boaz shows up, he's Caesar and his eyes are perked and his interest is peaked. And he begins to look into this gal, this damsel, this maiden. Kind of reminds me of when I first saw Crystal, my wife. Man, ooh la la, you know. We were going to two separate churches in Ashland. She was at the Simple Faith Church, and she was on the worship team there, and I was at the Ashland Christian Fellowship, and it was a Friday noon Bible study. Men and women were showing men and women to a luncheon, and she was coming to my vineyard to glean in that area, you know, and, and I remember seeing her come up the stairs, and she had a King James Bible underneath her arm, walking up. Maybe it wasn't that way. Maybe she was holding it, and she walked up and got in line and began to then fellowship with some of the older ladies. She was 19 years old at the time. And I remember when I saw her, I was like, man, this chick, look at that Bible, you know. (laughs) Man, that is sick. True story. (laughs) Hundred percent, what's wrong with you guys? And I was in love. And the rest of the story, I won't tell right now, but... When Boaz saw Ruth working, gleaning, in humility, sacrifice, and trust. And what does the Lord say of you and me? What does the Lord require of you and me? That we would do justly and love mercy and walk humbly. It's really simple. Do you guys put a lot of pressure on yourself to perform and to succeed and all all these things? I don't think it's that complex. I think the Lord simply wants you to glean in the fields that he's given to you and to trust him. And to be kind to the men servants and the maid servants next to us and to, to honor them, to bless them, to work alongside of them, to protect them, and to find ourselves refreshed with the water of life and the food for our soul, all the things that God gives to us. It's really not that hard. And Boaz is going to take care of everything for this girl. He's going to go to bat for her. He's going to go next level and ensure that her life is taken care of. She deserves none of this. Verse 10 again, she says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? That word favor is important for you to know this, especially if you're blessed in any way this morning. If God has blessed you, maybe you have gifts or maybe you have some things, a house or some help, anything at all. Why do you have that? It's God's favor. I don't deserve it. Do you know what you deserve? I know what I deserve. It's not pretty. It's bad. It's really bad. And yet God has given me favor. He's given me grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. This is the gift that God gives to his sons and daughters that simply humbly confess, I'm just a foreigner, not just a foreigner, but a forbidden foreigner. These guys were cursed. The Moabites were no good, downright bad people. And yet God says, I'm gonna overlook that. And Ruth was cared for in this way. Look at verse 13. I don't know if I got this far. She then confessed. She said, then she said, let me find favor, same word, in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. This humility opened up her to receive even more blessing from the Lord. Interesting in the Hebrew here, she says, your words spoken kindly to me, your words have spoken to my heart. There was a real connection between these two. And I believe, listen, it's a picture of our connection between our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his word with us. And when you hear God's word, hopefully this has happened to you, hopefully it happens often, when you hear God's word to you, that he loves you, that he's for you, not against you, 
that he's gonna be kind over your life, that his thoughts for you are of a future and a hope and not of evil, that the Lord wants to redeem your days and cover your deeds. And this is how God's word is meant to be for you and to me. And if it's not that way right now, whether in this moment on this Sunday, if you're not receiving it in that way, or tomorrow morning during your devotionals, I believe it's because of the position of your heart. That as Ruth humbled herself, she knew who she was. She knew what she deserved. She knew what she needed to do. I gotta go glean. I gotta go do something. I'm not just gonna sit around. But man, this is gonna be tough. I'm gonna do my little part, Lord. I'm gonna move forward. Would you bless me? And I believe as we opened up the service this morning that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are, hearts, are, hearts are loyal towards him that he might show himself strong on their behalf. The heart of the issue in your life is an issue of your heart. Any problem you're having right now, any wayward thinking or actions that can't be overcome can all be traced back to your heart condition with you and the Lord. You can't change your heart, by the way. You know this, right? But God can change your heart if you change your mind. God won't change your mind, but he will change your heart. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. See, repentance is up here. It's in our heads. I'm gonna think differently because how you believe is how you behave. I'm going to repent, think differently, turn around in this area. Oh, but my heart, <laughs> Lord help my heart. And this is exactly how Boaz was ministering to Ruth. Let's finish a few more verses here. We'll see how far we can go. Is there another service after this? Verse 14, now Boaz said to her at mealtime, oh, ho, ho, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Wow, special treatment. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Oh man, this is such a picture of communion. The bread and the vinegar or wine. Hey, come sit with me and eat. Here's some bread. Here's some wine. Let's have fellowship together. This is such a high position of honor. I would also point out that he was the one who initiated the conversation, and he was the one who saw her, and he was the one who pursued her. So too with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He initiates this with every single person on planet Earth. He gives to us his word and his spirit and his creation and his body. And he loves and hugs everybody through the Holy Spirit. Every single person on planet Earth right now is being loved on by God through the Holy Spirit and his creation. And yet Ruth here responded and said, oh, me? Me? Yes, you. Oh, me? And the relationship was born. And I hope this has happened to you and for you as well, that you're dining with the Savior in that way. Verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded the young men, saying, hey, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. That is, let her get to the good stuff. Verse 16, also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley, a couple bushels of barley. Do you hear what God says for Ruth? He says, hey, reapers, make sure and don't give her a hard time. As a matter of fact, give her a good time. Make sure she has even more than she could ever plan for. As you guys are walking, drop little bundles for her. This is exactly how the grace of God works in your life and my life. He just pours out dump trucks of blessings that we don't deserve. Do you know this about the Lord? 
as you're blessed and as God gives gifts and as you find yourself walking in the fruit of the spirit, it's not because of your effort or because of your deservedness. It's only because of God's great grace, goodness, and favor in your life. Celebrate that. Honor that. Ooh, expect that. As a matter of fact, last night I went to bed about 11 o'clock. I was studying all this out and I got up about five o'clock and I put my hand on my Bible. Kind of like I was being sworn in, you know what I mean? And I was like, Lord, Lord, I, got, I didn't study very well this week, and, 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 but I, you know what I do? I believe in your word. Your word will not return void. Your grace is good. Your power is real. It's not about my efforts. It's about your goodness. And Lord, would you be good to South Beach Christian Fellowship at Foursquare tomorrow? Would you bless us? And I just went to bed. I was like, I gotta go to bed. I'm tired. And I believe that God's gonna bless us. Do you believe that God's gonna bless you in your work and in your marriage and your singleness, in your needs? God's gonna bless me. God's gonna go before me. Look at verse 18. Well, then she took it up and she went into the city and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned and so she brought out and gave it to her and that she kept back some for herself to be satisfied and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom that she had worked And she said, the man's name of whom I work today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to her, daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relative of ours. He's one of our close relatives, a kinsman redeemer. I'm gonna have Pastor Toby come up and get ready to lead us in a closing song as we consider the implications of Naomi's transformation. She'd been sitting at home all day, not knowing what was going on. Woe is me, glass half empty, Eeyore mentality, no way moving forward, all hope is gone, husband is dead, Malon, her son is dead, Chilion is dead, it's all against me. We feel this way. And Ruth comes home after one day, buckets of food, barley everywhere, hey mom, look what I got. Where in the world did you get that? A A guy named Boaz whose name means in him is strength. A guy who when Solomon would build his temple, his great, great, great grandfather, Boaz, and Solomon named the pillars, one on the left and one on the right, and he named one on the left, Boaz. This strength, this redeemer. And here Naomi, who was mad in Moab and bitter in Bethlehem, now begins to be touched and changed forever. Verse 21. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, oh, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and and that the people do not meet you in any other field. Stay put, she said. Verse 23, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Stop right there, eyes up here. Everything just changed like that. Everything changed like that. And Naomi, who once was negative and bitter, go, my daughter. That's all she said. Now she begins to bless. Oh, bless the, oh my, bless the Lord. Oh, this is so good. Boaz, a redeemer, he can save us. She didn't have a lot of data, a lot to go on, but she saw the favor. Ruth comes back with this crazy testimony. I went to work. This guy said, hang out with me. He said, don't go anywhere else. And he gave me a bunch of food. Whoa. And Naomi knows what's going on. 
Naomi knows that the favor of the Lord is upon her daughter. Ruth, 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 Ruth. Ruth, who would go on to get married to Boaz and have a son named Obed. And Obed would have a son named Jesse. And Jesse would have six sons, and the youngest of those sons would be named David. And David would have a son named Solomon. Solomon would have sons and more sons and more sons until finally Mary and Joseph would come together and Mary would have a son through the lineage of Ruth and Mary would name her son Jesus from Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah of the house of bread who came to save sinners who came to set us free I'm gonna ask you guys to stand up with me Lord, I pray in anointing now as we just sing this song in closing. But Lord, Naomi's words to us, Naomi's words to Ruth would be the same words to us. Stay near, my daughter. Don't go to any other vineyards. Don't go to any other fields. In, in Jesus, we cry out to you. We desperately need the reapers. We desperately need the harvesters. We desperately need, Lord, more grain, more spiritual gifts from you. We need you just to pop it around. We're, 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 we can't do it without you. Lord, Ruth just began walking around saying, wow, there's a bunch of food right here. There's a bunch of blessings right here. This is crazy. I thank you, Jesus, that you're neither broke nor stingy, that you're not on a budget. But instead, you give exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And maybe you're in a moment of suffering. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that this moment of suffering is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits us. Just stay in the field near Jesus. Work with him. Glean from him. Lord, we pray that you would convict us and convince us of your goodness. Maybe you're here before we close, and I know we're out of time, but before we sing this song, maybe you're here and you're much like Naomi, where you're just, man, I just, I can count all the things against me. I just see it all. But today you want to change your heart. In order to change your heart, you're going to change your mind. And you're going to declare with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is real, that Jesus is good, that Jesus is God. And that he wants from you is to simply do the next right thing. Go, go glean. Go out there and do something. Don't just sit back and wait. Naomi sat back and wait, but she had a Ruth that was serving her, a Ruth that was getting after it, a Ruth that was stepping out and putting her antenna up. And Jesus, we pray that you would, Lord, give us that divine balance of Mary and Martha to know how to sit with you and to trust you and to wait upon you, but also how to get after it like the cherubim did with their wings. We love you so much, Jesus. And before I pray, if you're here this morning and you do need the Lord to give you a spiritual increase, you need more sheaves, more grain, more barley, more gifts from him, you just, you're, 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 you feel it, you're feeling it right now. You're empty. And you know you're empty. 
and you need a revitalization, would you raise up your hand right now? Maybe you need to be saved right now. Would you raise up your hand if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ and be saved by your Boaz? Just do it right now. It's between you and him. Keep your hands up right now if that's you. If you need a, if you need a kickstart from the Lord, you need a download from the Lord, you need a rescue from the Lord. Lord, I need a lot of those things. So I raise up my hands as well. Would you minister to us, Lord? Would you pour yourself out upon us? We love you, Jesus. Go ahead and put your hands down. Let's sing together right now. If you need prayer, I'm gonna be up here underneath this thing over here. Come over here and find me and I'll be praying for you guys. Let's sing together.